where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 welcome. That means I have four guests today. We are so excited. This is the first time Technology Revolution, the future of now, is live streaming to LinkedIn. And I have to say a big shout out and a thank you to the powers that be at LinkedIn that gave me the green light to join their beta live streaming program. So here we are. We're also live streaming to my Facebook page, Bonnie D. Graham. So what are we talking about today? I have three buzz quotes, and then I'll have my experts on the panel, my futurists, introduce themselves. So I have a quote from McKinsey.com. Com. Women are, everybody listen up, it's important. I don't care where you work, who you are, your age, your gender, where you are in the world, what you do for a living, listen up. Women earn about half of science and engineering degrees, but they make up less than 20% of people employed in those fields. Do the math. Half, 50%, only 20%. Okay, buzz number two from theguardian.com. Always get good quotes from them. Women are missing out on entrepreneurial success, making up just 17% of IT specialists in the UK. Shame, shame. We're still a new survey shows that the number of women in the tech sector has barely moved over the past 10 years. We call that a decade, despite an industry-wide push. When tech has never had it so good, where are the women? And buzz number three, a quote from the muse, M-U-S-E dot com. Women have decided to pursue a career, who have decided to pursue a career in computer science, credited early exposure to programming as the greatest factor in their decision to become computer engineers. Conversely, a lack of early exposure to computer science was the primary deterrent for women who leave or never join the tech field, and that's from themuse.com. We have four wonderful people, women in tech, who are going to help us navigate this minefield of what do we do to make it better, how to level the playing field. I have Maria Villar. I met her through one of my SAP radio shows. We have Teresa Kushner. Thank you, Teresa. I know you're involved in the (laughs) the storms in Texas, and we're so glad that the the power of the powers that be (laughs) has allowed you to connect with us. We have Anot Orr, who's calling us from Tel Aviv they not welcome. And we have Red Radhika Rangarajan. And they're going to be telling you in just a minute what they do, where they come from, what their backgrounds are, why this topic is important to them. So this is the future of women in tech. How can we level the playing field? I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome. This is such an exciting show. We predict we go on the line. We predict we give our point of view and we talk about where we think a topic is going. Maria Villar, I have to credit you with putting together this stellar panel. I met you a couple of weeks ago on another show and I said, Maria, this is such an interesting topic. Would you help me gather people for this show? And you said, sure. And here we are. So Maria Villar, I'm going to put you on speaker view. Would you please take about three minutes, introduce yourself a little bit about your background and what does it mean to you to help more women get into tech? Welcome, Maria. Well, thank you, Bonnie, and thank you to the panelists. This has been tremendous for me. Also, I got to meet some some new fantastic women in, in the course of, of putting this panel together. And so my name is Maria Villar. I am the head of enterprise data strategy and transformation at SAP North America. Been working for SAP for 10 years. Um, I was hired in actually to do a different job. I was hired in uh, to be there first chief data officer and to build their data program from the ground up. 
I did that for seven years. I'm probably one of the longest running uh, CDOs in in North America. Um, and I've done that now three times, been at that operational executive that had to bring data to the forefront in companies. And now I have the greatest job in the world, which is now I get to turn that around and help companies um, uh, that uh, are trying to do that themselves. Uh, I call myself uh, a data advocate, probably a data, you know, a data activist now at this point in my career, I've been doing it for 20 some odd years. So I'm all about making sure this profession continues to grow in importance, which it is, but also that businesses take it seriously and do what they need to do. Thank you, Maria. What's your quick POV? What's your POV on your point of view on the importance of this topic? Why do we need more women in tech? Just, just a quick overview. What do you think? Well, we need to, repre- we need to represent the community uh, in the marketplace. And more and more of our you know, customers want to see representation in this space. So it's important for women to be in this emerging um, Field, this one that's going to really kind of take over and, and be so important in every single profession. Uh, and so that's, you know, one of the things we'll talk about in my predictions, but data is going to be very prevalent in everything that we do. And so we, we must be represented and we must be ready. I like that must be ready. You know, I was an early woman in tech until some, I didn't know until somebody told me, but I was a programmer analyst back in the Xerox Cygnus CP5 and IBM 4341 days when a computer room was the size of an auditorium and you picked up the tiles on the floor with a magnetic, look like a carpet layers tool. Yes, I was one of those ladies. We'll just leave it that. Teresa Kushner, so happy to have you here. Again, we're glad the storms didn't take over your power so you could power yourself up and and I'd love to get to know you a little bit. Teresa, please talk to our audience. Tell us a little bit about your background and what's your passion for the topic. Teresa. Oh, thank you. Well, actually, I have two passions, Bonnie. I have uh, women. I am absolutely passionate about what we do for women in business overall. And then I am passionate about data. I know that sounds so geeky. And every time I say it, I go, oh, People aren't going to really think you're passionate about data, but I am. Today, I am uh, the practice lead for data as an asset for NTT data. Data is in our name. And yet, constantly, I deal with customers that want artificial intelligence back. They want artificial intelligence centers of excellence without the data to support it. So when you asked Maria that question a few minutes ago about why data is so important and why women are so important in data, they've got to be represented not only in the data field, but in the data that we have too, because we're going to be developing artificial intelligence algorithms with worlds of data. And if we're not represented, those algorithms will just perpetuate everything that we've known for the last 30 or 40 years. You know, and I have to tell you too, I have worked at companies as big as IBM, as small and startup as VMware. And every company I've worked with has the same issue. The data, we have a ton of data debt that we're trying to overcome. So I'm very anxious to be part of this. Thank you very much. Teresa, you brought up such an interesting point about AI. We talk about built-in bias and people say, well, there's an old saying I had on my wall. It said the best committee is composed of three people, two of whom don't show up. Well, I I don't know what made (laughs) me think of that. But but in terms of algorithms, we all know that people 
somewhere, somebody started that flow of data, of, of coding. Mm-hmm. Somebody put something into somewhere, and it was a person, whether they trained the machine learning language to create that algorithm. Mm-hmm. It was a person. What were their biases? How do you get those out? So we do need the diversity of the people who are feeding or coaxing or coaching the data. Thank you, Teresa. Very happy to have you here. Hey, Nat Orr from Tel Aviv. We're so glad you're here. I'd love to get a, what time of the day is it and what's the weather? We'd love to get an Israel weather update. Go ahead. So it's evening here and it's actually a storm, but in Israel, a storm is just uh, a few hours of rain. So (laughs) we've had 24 hours of rain. We are in a terrible storm. The news is all over it. Uh, Compared to Teresa. (laughs) Which (laughs) row? So please tell us who you are, what you do. We're delighted to have you here. Introduce yourself. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I am the CEO of Triverse. I'm also the co-founder. Triverse is the company behind an open source project called LakeFS. And LakeFS provides Git-like operations over object storages. I know it's terribly technical. I did that on purpose. So it's (laughs) data infrastructure because this is really what this panel is about. Um, former um, CTO of SimilarWeb and three other Israeli startup companies as the tech leader. And uh, in, uh, when I actually worked and not managed, uh, I was an algorithms developer, which is now called the data scientist. Uh-huh. I have a PhD in mathematics from Tel Aviv University. So my passion lies in data and algorithms. And I'm, I've spent the last 25 years doing that. What about women in tech in Israel? Are you finding that there is a more equal representation than in other parts of the world? No. No. Unfortunately, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, in Israel, the army plays a very uh, big part in uh, being able to, uh, at least entrepreneurship, but also getting a good job in the high-tech uh, industry. And it is still biased towards men. So there's a lot to be done here as well. Mm. Very, um, very interesting. Yeah, and I think it's extremely important because I think uh, a gender-leveled workplace simply performs much better. So it's in the interest of everyone to have this balance in every industry and definitely in tech. That was a quotable moment. A quotable moment. Thank you very much. And I read that for years, Israel, Tel Aviv in particular, and, and other major cities in Israel rival Silicon Valley in terms of startups, in terms of energy and power and passion. And going to have a coffee with somebody in a cafe and saying, hey, I need to know so-and-so. Who do you know? In- the introductions are very quiet. You don't need big meetings and big buildings and fancy this and that. That the, It's a word of mouth on what people need. Is that is that accurate, Ainat? Yes, it is. Actually, it's not a legend. This is how it goes. <laughs> it, very, very interesting. And you are an entrepreneur. I'm, I'm very glad you're here. You, I just can't believe you've been doing this for 25 years. Let's just leave that one on the table. I'm sorry. I'm having a lot of trouble with that one. <laughs> That's a compliment. You know that. Let's go to Radhika Ranga Rajan. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, dear. I'm going to put you on speaker view. We would love to know who you are, what you do, what's your POV, your point of view on this topic. Radhika, welcome to Technology Revolution. Thank you so much, Bonnie, for uh, extending this opportunity to me and as well as to Maria for uh, giving me this chance to actually discuss this with this amazing set of uh, women here. Um, A little bit on my background, uh, I'm currently the Director of Cloud Foundation Solutions Engineering at VMware. That's a mouthful. Uh, But prior to VMware, I spent close to 20 years at Intel, uh, multiple roles, um, 
work through manufacturing, Intel manufacturing by trade. I'm a computer engineer, a programmer. Um, and I actually uh, spent a lot of time going through different teams at Intel. And at the end, I actually ended in this open source data analytics and AI team. And this is where I actually discovered one of my other passions, which is women in tech. Mm -hmm. um, I partnered with uh, three other women, and we co-founded this amazing community called Women and Big Data. Uh, it started as a conversation in our aisles, and now and then grew into a 15-person uh, community inside a conference room. And we are now 17,000 women worldwide <laughs> across 39 chapters, and uh, doing some amazing work, inspiring each other, just championing for each other, and just creating these local leadership paths of women in data analytics and AI across the world. And uh, we will be launching our 40th chapter in about a month from now. So very excited about that. Uh, this is this is sort of my baby. I, it's personal. Women in tech. It's <laughs> personal for me. It's personal for everyone on this panel. Um, but more so because uh, this journey started off with, there was a lot of conversation about uh, getting uh, a lot of women in tech, uh, companies like Intel and VMware, they are pioneers, they are actually committed to making this happen. Uh, but five years ago, I was not seeing that, I was not sensing it, I was hearing all the talk, I was not sensing it. So I was talking to a few other women, we said, well, where are all the women, it's just the three of us. <laughs> so let's do something about it. And we got together and we found the other women. So uh, it's all about creating the awareness, helping each other out, establishing and extending our networking and mentoring each other so we can get more representation in tech. I think, Radhika, you have the answer to the show, which is more <laughs> the, the, the question is, how do we level the playing field? I think you're, well, you're all doing it your own way, but you're doing it through your organization. I'm going to ask Teresa to move your microphone a little bit away from your mouth, just a little bit, and Radhika, move yours a little bit away because we're getting a little too much over-pronunciation. That's good. Thank you very much. We want to hear you clearly and dearly and nearly. There you go. So this is the part of the show, and thank you for the introductions, ladies. I really appreciate it. I will tell you that when I went into computer programming and operations training or school, I already had a bachelor's degree in psychology. I was living uh, in New York, then New Haven, then Cambridge, Massachusetts. And at the time, my family decided we were moving to the West Coast to Eugene, Oregon. And I found myself a, by my choice, a single mom at that point. Uh, yes, I became single. I divorced. And I needed something to do. And I said to my parents who were in New York, help me find, I don't know what I want to do. I have a bachelor's degree in psychology. Everybody's got one of those. I can't tell you what year it was. What the heck do I do with that? And, and they sent me a bunch of brochures. And one of the brochures was computer programming. And I talked to a couple of friends in Eugene. I said, what do I do with this? They said, there's a community college, two bus rides away. I didn't have a car. I was a young divorcee with two kids living in, a, in an apartment on, on Donald Street in Eugene. And they said, there's a community college. Go talk to them. So I took the bus to the community college. I said, what can I do? They said, the class is full. Computer operations, computer, it's full. But come every day, it's three times a week, for the first two weeks. We guarantee by the end of two weeks, there will be empty seats in the classroom. We will have a place for you. And I said, what can I do with my transcript? I've got a magna cum laude bachelor's degree from Boston University. I attended Sarah Lawrence College. I got a good pedigree here. And they said, we'll apply your credits. No problem. Everything is good. So in two weeks, there was a seat. And what I wanted to tell you, ladies, is that at that time, 
we were more women in the class. So we're talking late 70s here, more women than men. But we came from other disciplines. There was somebody who had gone to law school, didn't like it, dropped out. I want to go into somebody who came from medical school, didn't like it, dropped out. Somebody who was going to be an architect, didn't like. We were, and here I was just looking for a way to earn a living and support my children. We were women from many different disciplines, and we were fascinated absolutely fascinated with this thing called a computer and how do you code and how do you work in a computer room and that's how I got so I got two degrees from them and they hired me to run a statewide system right out of after two years and I, I got a 4.0 which was funny so community college was my graduate school which most people most people I went to community college first then a four you know I did a four-year degree and then anyway I just want to share that with you it's it's been an interesting ride so Radhika I wish I had known about your organization so you're about 40 years too late for me, but I digress. Thank you very much. So, ladies, this is the part of the show where I've asked you to please send me a quote from a movie, a song, a TV show, something that had absolutely nothing to do with our topic. And I'm going to ask you very briefly, I'll read the quote, read a little bit of background, fascinating, and I'll ask you to tell us in your own words how the quote relates. Maria Villar, you're first. And this is a quote from... Oh, Albert Albus Dumbledore, played by Richard Harris, tells Harry Potter, Daniel Radcliffe, it is our choices, Harry, that show what we truly are far more than our abilities. And this is from Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, a 2001 fantasy film directed by Chris Columbus. I like that. Directed by Warner Brothers, distributed. And it's based on, of course, J.K. Rowling's 1997 novel of the same name. So there's the quote. It is our choices, Harry, that show what we truly are far more than our abilities. Maria, you're up. Tell me, what does this mean? Well, for me, this has both kind of a, a personal and a, and a professional message to me, right? So on, on a personal level, it tells me that our choices really matter, that you could come from a great family or you could come from a great background, pedigree, um, but not take advantage of it and not make the right choices. And it's all about those choices. And the converse is also true, right? You could really, you, you could really have great capabilities you could be really smart, and yet, again, you don't use it in the right way. So, so it's all about choices for me on a personal level. And then from a professional side, well, of course, it's the choices of what, what, you, what career you take and, and where you want to go with your career. But in the day-to-day, which is what I do for a living now about creating a data strategy and a data point of view, it also relates because – you can have the greatest technical capabilities in the company. You've got all the tools in the world, but then you don't make the right choices. You don't prioritize where you want to spend your money, where you want to spend your resources. And so all those investments that you're making, whether it's data or, or not data or in other areas, is all for not. So understanding where you want to go and then and those choices, making those hard choices is all about having an effective strategy. Thank you very much. Very words, very appreciated and very sound advice. Thank you. Glad for picking the quote. Thank you, Maria. Teresa Kushner, this is an iconic quote. It comes from the title sequence of the original 1966 to 69 Star Trek science fiction TV series. I think you all know what's coming up. The quote is to boldly go where no one has gone before. And interesting, here's the full quote, Teresa, from the opening. And this is, was spoken by William Shatner as Captain James T. Kirk at the beginning of each episode. Space 
the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds. I think that's what we're talking about today. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Uh-oh. And now it's where no one has gone before. This is such a loaded quote, Teresa. I love it. Talk to me. How'd you pick this one? <laughs> that's exactly why I picked it, is because of that change between man to one. You know, the, the frontiers, all the frontiers, whether they were the Western frontier or the space frontier, were largely dependent upon women helping to make those things happen. I mean, I was sitting here thinking about you and your uh, background and in the 70s, and that was the time we were launching moon rockets and the women, we already know those stories about the women yep. that created all the software to do that, you yep. know, because that was something men didn't want to have anything to do with. It was hardcore calculus and all the things you could do to put a rocket into space. It was rocket science. So I, I think that that one is really important to me because it sort of was, it's something that you hang on to going forward. You know, we as women have got to be at the forefront together with the men setting the stage for what happens next, whether it's this frontier or it's the next thing that we want to go forward with. Thank you very much. Appreciate that, Teresa. I remember back in those days, the men in my classes at the community college, I took a, a business statistics class. I have no idea why. They were wearing pocket protectors and they all used slide rules, mm -hmm. slide rules. And I went into the statistics class and I aced the class, all the homework, all the, and I used a pencil to figure things out because I had a math background and I just figured things out. <laughs> and they said, how did you do that? I said, well, you learn to do math and you learn it the basic way and then you figure it out. And I had been on the math team in junior high school, competitive math team in the, in the city of New York, going around from high school to high school with a team figuring out really crazy topics and problems. So anyway, it, was, it just was interesting. I was one of the few women in that class, by the way. Let's move on. Let's go to the quote from Ayanat. And this is a call, oh, Ayanat. I saw this movie at a synagogue when I was about 14 years old. <laughs> they showed it on a Sunday at the Little Neck Jewish Center in Queens, New York. I, I'm sorry, it brings back such memories. The movie is Dumbo, a 1941 oh. Disney animated film. It was 64 minutes long, one of Disney's shorted animated features and only the fourth Disney animated film. I read somewhere that they used it to make up for the first three, which didn't do so well in the box office. And Timothy Q. Mouse is saying to Dumbo the following, the very things that hold you down are going to lift you up because Dumbo had very big ears and he was ridiculed. And they said he was still capable of flying using his ears, but his only true friend was the mouse. How iconic and how ironic. So Aenon, I'm going to put you on speaker view. Tell us how you picked this beautiful quote. Go ahead. So I actually thought about leadership how until about 10 years ago, uh, women were encouraged to, uh, to adopt uh, masculine characteristics in order to lead. So we were told, be more aggressive, be more decisive, learn to say no, annoying stuff like that. And today in 2020 or 2021, leadership is about uh, consultative, being consultative, 
having excellent relationships with other people, being able to empower other people and hence empower your team and succeed together. And those are things that women do naturally. So if 10 and or more years ago, having those feminine characteristics would have been those ears that pull you down. Ooh. Now those are definitely the engines that are going to bring you up as a leader and as a manager. So you can come as you are, be the woman that you are, and influence and progress and lead. I have to catch my breath on that one. That was so beautifully put. Thank you very much. Thank you, Thank you very, very much. And Maria, you picked the phenomenal panel. I am so <laughs> impressed with all of you. We haven't even gotten to Radica's quote yet, but here it comes. This is a quote that the late Cliff Robertson played Uncle Ben to Peter Parker, played by Tobey Maguire. You all know what's coming in the Spider-Man movies. This is a thematic and often quoted line. I'm going to read in a second. It was used by the Supreme Court of the United States, Radica. I'm sure you know that. Uh, Spider-Man, it's a phrase that comes with, here's the quote, with great power comes great responsibility. And by the way, there is a thought that it was, um, let's see, it was not, it did not appear in by any character in Amazing Fantasy number 15, and I read somewhere that, oh, this is called the Peter Parker principle. That's what I want to say. It's a proverb, and it's conceptually dated back to 1793 in the French Revolution. So this has a lot of history to it. With great power comes great responsibility. Radhika, talk to me. Beautiful quote. Go ahead. The Peter Parker principle. But you know what, Bonnie? I was actually thinking of this show. I was thinking of you. I was thinking of the power of the microphone. I was thinking of the power of this platform. And... The wow. responsibility that you have on your shoulders every week to bring together very important, relevant topics because you have the power of the platform. And that's essentially what we all need to be thoughtful about. We are here because we are standing on the shoulders of thousands of women who, had the, who used the power of their voice to march, the right to vote, the right to work. And a few decades, few centuries down the road, those women would be actually, we would be standing on their shoulders actually, or they would be standing on our shoulders the other way around. So we have a social and moral obligation and responsibility. And, and this is a call out to all my male and female colleagues. If you're in a position of power, well, here you go, you are empowered. And you have the responsibility to give someone a hand, to inspire someone, to connect someone to an opportunity, to champion for someone's success. Just do it. And, you know, this is a business channel. So let's think about this. We will be better off as a society the sooner we bridge the inequalities. The GDP is projected to be 5% more if men and women participate at the same levels in workforce. So what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? We have the power, we are empowered, and we have the responsibility to make that change. Thank you. So many words of wisdom. I am beyond flattered, Radhika, what you said about me with the power of the power of the platform of the microphone. I, I don't think of it that way, but I'm I took it just took me aback for a second there. I'm I'm rarely speechless, but you, you left me speechless for a couple of seconds. So thank you very, very much. This is the part of the show. And ladies, thanks for picking such iconic and classic lines from movies from TV. We didn't have any songs, but we had some really, really great 
Great quote. So thank you very much for that. Let's go to the predictions part. This is where we're going to do like a lightning round. I will read a prediction from each of you. Ladies, look in the chat. I have sent some messages to you. I will continue to do that. I'll tell you in the chat before it's your turn. What And there's nothing there. I haven't done it yet. What prediction I am selecting. So Maria, I've teed up your prediction number one, which I happen to like a lot. And Maria says, as business processes become more digitized, embedded process analytics will become the norm. And here's what she said. Being data savvy will be necessary for all leaders. Women in all professions can get ahead of this trend, becoming data literate now. And that's part of the intro to this show, right, Maria? Now, now, now. Okay, so Maria, you're up. Why don't you take about two minutes, explain this prediction. Then I will send a message to Teresa in the chat on which I'm picking for you. Then one to Radhika and one to Anat. I'm sorry, Anat and then Radhika. Order correct. Okay, Maria, you're up. So look, business processes are going to become more digitized and COVID is actually accelerating that. I mean, the need to become digital with your customers, your suppliers has never been more important. So it's going to accelerate what was already happening. And to be digital is all about data. Um, It's data as an underpinning. But then what's going to happen, and it's already happening, is that these business processes are going to become intelligent, whether it's with predictive analytics or artificial intelligence. And so every business process in every industry, whether it's procurement, sales, marketing, finance, they're all going to have this embedded intelligence. So all of professions um, are going to need to be data savvy. And what does it mean to be data savvy? It means that you need to know what questions to ask about the data. Um, I wrote this article on COVID dashboards, which is very relevant today, that you need to know how to read a dashboard. You need to know how to ask the right questions. What are, what are the biases that could be in there? So all women really should be data savvy, and it could be a terrific competitive advantage that you have over the next, next person in the job. And so that's why I'm saying get data savvy, understand data and how to be able to read data and know what you can or cannot trust in the data and be data savvy and in all professions. Thank you very much. Great prediction. And Teresa, you're up next. Teresa Kushner wrote me the following. She said, AI will continue to be biased against women. I'm just going to stop right there, Teresa, and let you explain this prediction. Go ahead. Artificial intelligence uses data that we already have somewhere or data that we artificially create in order to be able to train an algorithm. But think about this, and and I want to give you sort of this example, is that women suffer from not being paid as much as men in the United States twice. Once, the first time they receive their payroll check, and the second time, with their retirement fund that is 17% lower than what the guys might be making. So we get a double whammy with all of these. And all we have to go on with artificial intelligence today are years and years of data that are have been collected for the environment that we were in, the environment that was really very geared to men. I give you this other great example. It really irritated me. For over 25 years, I have been the sole breadwinner in my family. My credit score rating is five points lower than my husband's. And why why is that? Why is after all of these years, when I've been the one paying the bills, he has a higher credit rating than I do? 
So we're going to have to take, it's going to take consciousness on the part of all women and all people who are in the artificial intelligence world to create data sets that don't start out being biased. Because as you train that data set against more and more data, then it's just going to continue to perpetuate whatever bias we already have in, in the society. Teresa, what you said seems so unfair, but more than that, it seems illogical. How could it? When when I first got divorced, I was going started going to a gym in Eugene, and I met a, a woman who was the manager of the gym, and she had a background in finance, and she said, I'm going to help you get your own credit because you're a young divorcee. You don't have a job yet. I was just getting a job as a student intern somewhere in a auto glass shop or something like that. I, I remember it vividly. It was not a great experience, but I needed to to do something for that work experience. And she took me, I think, to Macy's and, and she had me sign up for a revolving credit account just to get something in my name. She said, Bonnie, it's important that you start getting your own credit. And I'm indebted to Patty Wiggins, wherever you are in the world, for making that leap of faith to help guide me into an area I had absolutely no idea. So here we go. Let's go to Anat Orr. And Anat has sent me the following prediction. She says, the acknowledgement that female executives succeed is going to dramatically improve. I like that prediction. Why don't you take us into the rest of it before? I don't want to read it. You, you go. Go ahead, Anat. Yes, yeah, so I think the pandemic did us a favor in this regard because countries led by women seems to have been doing much better than countries who are led by men. And this is uh, beyond any question. And I think it is more uh, evident to uh, young girls, I'm assuming, when they see a leader of a country doing very well in a very stressful and uh, uh, problematic situation and that serves and we know that an example is extremely important and a role model is ex model is extremely important so there is hope that uh, more girls and also uh, young men understand that uh, women serve very well as leaders and should be chosen to lead either in politics or in the workplace now the tech industry uh, I think has done a lot to promote women and to and to encourage this uh, women leadership. And we have we have read, I'm sure all of us read a lot of books by uh, women leaders uh, from the tech industry. But still, you need to see in your day-to-day -day office a person that you admire, who is a female that you can uh, just. Uh, feel strong enough that you have the example to uh, follow in her footsteps. So I think by uh, seeing those um, personas on television and being ins inspired, and by the industry keeping to promote women, we will have more and more of those examples. We will have more women leaders. I'm an optimist, I know. I, it's all my predictions are terribly optimistic. Well, we like that. And you are certainly a role model and leading by example. You're all role models. models. And again, thank you to Maria. I, I'm honored to be among the presence of such powerful people. I called you people. Ah, there we go. That's what it really should be about. Radhika, I have a wonderful prediction here. You're number one. You say the resurgence of work from home, remote work, corporate policies as an outcome of the pandemic disruption will help. This is a good one. Will help attract and accelerate more women to return to corporate tech. Radhika, this is an exciting one. Go ahead. Tell me what this is all about. 
So this is like, uh, you know, how Enid said, looking at the glass half full and an optimistic prediction here. But I do believe that a lot of uh, focus and attention right now has been on the businesses having transformed um, how they handle the pandemic, going through accelerating the digital transformation. Uh, but I think what it has done in corporate tech is it has also shattered this long-held misconceptions of employee productivity when you're working from home. And this has disadvantaged women for decades. Now, for the longest time, professions that have remote work, flexible options, have always attracted female talent. And I think about this. 66% of customer service representatives are women because they can actually work from anywhere. Are, that makes it more common gender in that occupation. We now have an opening to do the same in tech. Our jobs can be done from any place, anywhere, and with any kind of flexibility, and the productivity will still be high. So no more excuses, corporate America. This is our opening. <laughs> No more excuses. There you go. That was a campaign, political campaign, many, many years ago. <laughs> I no <know> more political. <laughs> I, I think there was a. I think there was a brand of blue jeans that was called No More Excuses. Anybody remember back in the day? Is that ringing any bells? Okay, we'll leave that one on the table. Let's do round two of predictions. Round one was great. Let's go to Maria. I'm looking at prediction number three. This is exciting. You say, as technology advances to replace many of the data tasks done today by IT. The data leadership roles, i.e. CDO, Chief Data Officer, you, uh, and Chief Analytic Officer will require more business skills, less IT skills, women from many more backgrounds, marketing, operations, finance, legal, maybe broadcasting, will be attracted to this new role. <laughs> Maria, work with me here. What do we got? <laughs> well, look, I, I, today, a lot of the chief data officers that I know um, still report into IT, into the CIO, and, and have a pretty technical role, although they, they also do have a, uh, a business role as well. But and they spend a lot of time on the technical side. And this goes back to the quote on capabilities, right? The technical capabil uh, capabilities are not what's going to make a chief data officer successful. Uh, it's going to be the value that they create, the business value. And so as more and more of the task of a data a chief data officer, whether that's profiling data, whether that's um, defining data, whether that's you know wrangling data, all those words that we use, that's going to become more and more automated. Then really, the role of the chief data officer within the business is going to be value creation, and it's going to be a different kind of role. And that role will be, again, served by um, backgrounds, all kinds of backgrounds, and whether that's a marketing background, whether that's a finance background, whether that's a legal background. And we're seeing that already today, that many of those um, jobs are being filled with those that kind of profession. And they're the ones that become more of the change agent within the organization. And so, again, a little bit of what, you know, Radhika was saying as well, is that these are some of the roles that traditionally have, have been where women um, have their the skills today and the jobs today, but they can start moving again into having these chief data officer roles because they are not going to be solely IT roles. And I like the chief data officer role because for me, it was a combination of, yeah, you have to know the technology because the technology is going to be the way that you scale and automate, but it's really more on the business side. So it's a really interesting job that combines the two. <laughs> 
Thank you very much. Very interesting, Marie. I'll tell you a story later, but I don't want to interrupt the flow here. Teresa Kushner, prediction number two. Everybody listen up. Teresa predicts women in data. Watch out for falling salaries. I'm going to stop there. That's dramatic. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. I don't think I, I think I know, but <laughs> Teresa, you're up. Talk to me. I don't want to be like the harbinger of doom here of all of my predictions, the sort of the negative side of everybody's optimism. But over the years, what I have watched, and I see it a little bit in the IT world, is that every time women get a foothold in a profession, that profession salaries drop. Teachers. Hmm secretaries all have over the years. I mean, it was at one time, all the secretaries in the United States were men. The minute that women became secretaries and assistants, those salaries dropped. And I watched it in education Mm. too. You know, women in the classroom, men could no longer afford to stay there. So they left and women now fill a large percentage of the classroom duties for children, at least until the high school area. So I I just wanted to make sure that we understand that that's a possibility. Now, I loved what Maria said about value creation, because I believe that's what women can do better and create value from the data that makes it important for us to be in those positions. But I don't I don't see what's what's happening with IT is that IT is becoming more a supportive role. And the more supportive you get in your role, the more it goes to women. And so I'd like to be able to make sure that women say to themselves, I'm going to be in that supportive role, but by gosh, I'm going to create revenue and value. And I'm going to stop being a cost consumer for the company and start being a value creator for the company. That's a little bit of difference in the way that we look at our role. So I, uh, I don't mean to be negative, but I do want to watch that. Now, some of my economist friends always say, well, yeah, when you <laughs> unleash another 50% of the population into a given area, yeah, the salaries are probably going to go down. But I think you need to watch. When I sit in meetings constantly, I look around at me and I look at the women that are represented in the meeting. And most high-tech companies, and do this yourself, most high-tech companies will have women in HR, women in marketing, women in chief of staff roles. There are very few women in hardcore positions within those high-tech companies that are responsible for generating the revenue for the company, are responsible for Hmm. making decisions about operations, you know, and that's what happens when you start to look for CEOs and CFOs and CNEO in the (laughs) organization is that these women have not had the opportunity to sharpen their skills. And so they get left out of that next ring. Opportunity is what we need. And opportunity means that you need to give us a whole range of opportunities to succeed in. Thank you very much. Fascinating. I'm gonna, I have a story to share, but I want to go through this second round of predictions. So, Anat, I'm looking at your prediction number three. You say tech companies concentrate 66% of their philanthropic funding on K through 12, kindergarten through 12th grade programs. There's going to be a gap to close also in higher education long term. Anat, tell me more, please. So, at the beginning of the show, Bonnie, you quoted most saying that early exposure is mm-hmm. key. Yep. Why this is this, this huge investment is going into K-12, right? We want to create this early exposure to, uh, to tech. 
and the American, the large American tech companies are investing a lot in doing that. So hopefully that would bear fruit in, in the next few years. We just need to make sure that we continue uh, to utilize this exposure to open doors for women, first in higher education and then uh, within the industry, as, as Teresa stated. So um, again, I'm optimistic since I feel that this investment was, had started five to eight years ago, and it was um, pinpointed that the problem is actually middle school. So girls are interested in technology till they're about 12. And then for social reasons, if I believe this is what the research shows, uh, they turn back on that and go to, into more girly things. So the ability to make technology a girly thing, because it is a girly thing. Look, we're all girls. <laughs> so, girly technology is going to be the best next thing and girls are going to adopt it hopefully they already did and then if we keep encouraging that in, a, in the higher education I think we will get an excellent representation of women I love that <laughs> tech is a girly thing it is <laughs> maybe isn't we need to have girl, a course isn't tech a girly thing well maybe we need to have a class in girly tech I don't know why don't you start that and that start talk, talk to Radhika and in, in her organization and and have a, an online a webinar a live hundred people zoom class in girly tech I think you would get an enormous response I've I've never heard of it <laughs> well I don't think anybody has I I love it I I'll help you moderate it if you ask me I would love to do that Radhika speaking of you I'm going to read your prediction number three it's long I'll just read a little bit very interesting you say get ready I love these predictions. Get ready for an expansion of new roles in tech as more women are redefining what technology needs are. From traditional roles like software developer, architects, IT analysts to managers, we've seen more role definitions focused on, here we come, data modelers, data scientists, accessibility, user and information experience specialists, etc. And there's a lot more. Radhika, talk to me. This is great. Tech is a girly thing indeed. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, so so if you think, I mean, this this is once again the optimistic part of me, which says that yes, we will definitely see a disruption and an expansion of rules. We have already seen this wherever there is diversity on the uptick. We are seeing more of these rules getting created. Now that trend should follow as we start to uncover, peel the onion uncover the unmet needs in tech and we'll be defining new roles and job definitions. Now think about this, for the longest time, the existing job definitions and descriptions in tech, who, were, who wrote those job descriptions and who mm. defined those R&Rs? <laughs> so we are, where we why are we trying to actually force fit? So we can actually conform to certain rules of what tech actually means. It's like trying to fit the square peg in a round hole. I say, you know what? We're done with that. We are defining our new roles. So get ready for a rewrite of what these data roles are going to be because this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. I love that. I want to tell you all a quick story. I was hired as a systems operation manager, something like that, by a correspondent bank in New York. And when I went to the interview, I was living in Eugene, and this was before email, I'm admitting that. And my uncle in New York cut out job 
postings in the New York Times and overnight expressed them to me in Eugene, Oregon. And I picked out a bunch and I phone called them because we were three hours earlier. I had to wait until I could talk to them, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I came to New York. I, I was sewing my own clothes in those days. I had two gray business suits and a couple blouses. My mom and dad, I left the kids with their, with their dad. My mom and dad cleared their calendar for my dad was a doctor and my mother's an antique dealer and they cleared the cut for a week. And I think I did 17 interviews in five days all over the New York area, Manhattan, Long Island, Westchester. And at night I would wash out the blouses and press the suit and get ready the next day. I went back to Eugene with five job offers. I took the wrong one. I took the one with the fanciest office. Ended up, they had a, a consultant there who hired me to do a specific programming job. And what he really hired me to do was beat the CRAP out of me emotionally and professionally and abort every program I submitted. And the interview was eight hours, in case you're wondering. This was, this was a person who really didn't want women in tech. Anyway, I realized the writing was on the wall, and I started looking for other opportunities around New York. So I took my lunch hours by cab to go anybody who had any kind of a job with that fit my description, looking for another opportunity in New York. And I ended up with a couple of jobs. When I was ready to hand in my resignation, they looked at me and they said, pack your stuff, you're going home today, you're fired. When I had gotten another job, and this was a big company. And I packed my little cardboard box and went home took the subway to Penn Station to the Long Island Railroad and went home and I had two weeks with nothing to do. I had gotten a job as a program analyst for the New York Daily News, the newspaper, and I was ready to start. And three days before I started, I got a phone call from a recruiter whom I had contacted from Eugene, Oregon. I was already in New York, remember, from Eugene, and she didn't have any jobs for me at the time. And she said, I held on to your resume and I think I have something for you. She said, get in your car and go out to exit uh, 45 on the Long Island Expressway and you have an interview with Mr. Kelly. And I said to her, look, number one, it's snowing like a banshee out here. Uh, who, who's got the snow, Teresa? Yes, yeah. <laughs> you got the snow. And I said, my car doesn't like the snow and I'm running a fever of 101, I got a bad cold. She said, you don't wanna miss this opportunity go to this interview. So I got myself together. I brought a box of Kleenex. I went to the interview. I said to them, I'm happy to talk to you, but you have to keep me in a room. This way 100 years before COVID, so it wasn't that bad. I said, you have to keep me away from people. I have my own Kleenex. I can give you a half hour because I have a fever. I think I'm going to die. And, and the person, Mr. Kelly, who had come from Chase to run this, this correspondent bank, and he said to me, what do you know about banking? I said, absolutely nothing. He said, what do you know about programming? I said, well, I, I don't do Fortran. I don't do assembly language. I'm COBOL and PL1. That's what I do. And he said, you have a checkbook? And I said, yes. He said, you know enough about banking. So I went and met with somebody else, another interview. And I said, please, you got to let me go home. It's snowing. My car is not happy. I'm dying here. I went home and went to bed. Monday morning, about two days before I was supposed to report for my job in the Daily News, I got a call from the bank and they said, we just hired you when we're going to match your salary and you don't have to go to Manhattan to work. We're hiring you as a systems operation manager. I said, what's that? They said, show up for work and we'll find out. And they said to me, because you speak English, in that you're going to love this, before, because you speak English and you speak computer language, you are going to work with the IT department in Woodbury, Long Island at our Long Island office. And you're going to go to the city to our Manhattan office. It was in the old Greenstamp building. I think it was 45th and Madison, big 
middle part of town, Middletown, four minutes to close. Aaron, I'm almost done. And they said, you're going to meet with all the people in the departments of the bank. This correspondent bank. They didn't have a, uh, you didn't walk up to a window and say, I need a check. You, this was back office banking for the savings banks of all of New York state. That's who we were. And they said, he said, you're going to meet with the departments. You're going to find out what their reporting needs are. You're going to come back to the programmers in Woodbury and you're going to translate from the American English person in the bank in New York who needs something. And you're going to go sit with the programmers and help them figure out how to design what they need to do to support the departments in the bank. And that was my first job there. I ended up becoming the marketing manager of the whole bank and moving to the Manhattan office. But it was a fascinating time when skills were fluid right? And you were given opportunities. It wasn't as, as stiff and stuffy and okay, checking the boxes. It was this person saw me as a person who had, had decent intelligence and a personality and knew both worlds. And he said, I'm bringing you in to talk to this group and talk to that group and help us be more successful. On that note, I'm going to say thank you to our panelists. We have two and a half minutes left. I'm going to quickly go around the table, a one sentence prediction. It can be two sentences if you want on where we're going with how to level the playing field with women in tech. Maria Villargo. I want to feed off of a little bit of what Teresa was saying about uh, revenue producing and value producing jobs. There's a big thing now in the data world about data monetization, which is making money with data. And I think that's a great opportunity for those women that start to get into the data field that they can then take this, um, this profession and turn it into a business. And that is when you re- it really matters. And that's when you start to get the CEO positions. And I, I, you know, kudos to you. I was really impressed with that. And, and those board positions. So getting that value, the business value from data is where it's at. One sentence, Teresa, we have a minute and a half left. Go, Teresa Kushner, you're up. Join, join arms with all the women that you know in tech. And just, you know, make sure you reach down as well as up to all the women. Mm-hmm. And that or, go ahead. Learn data analysis and data science. This is the future, and this is where you're going to find a job in tech. There you go. Radhika, go ahead. Inspire, connect, and champion. Oh, wow. Maria, everybody, round of applause for Maria Villar for putting together this panel. Maria, you you rock this. I am so honored to have met the four of you. Maria, you impressed the heck out of me when I met you on one of my other shows. And I'm very honored that you accepted my invitation to put the panel together. Ladies, I hope you've enjoyed sharing ideas, sharing passion, sharing energy. It's been my pleasure. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Quick shout out. Everybody say thank you to Aaron, my engineer. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. And we have been live streaming on LinkedIn. And I want to do a shout out to Ryan Treasure, the VP, I call him, of everything operations at World Talk Radio, who helped me set up the restream. And he is the voice in the intro to the show, the future of now, now, now. And here's my closing message. If somebody says to you, the future is already here, I want you to put your hands on your hips and I want you to look them in the eye and you want to say, no, that was yesterday's future. Today's future hasn't happened yet. And we're going to make it a better one. Ladies, everybody wave goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.
Thanks again for